what I've found, especially with brain injury and brain disease and brain surgery, is that a lot of people can't handle being around that. It doesn't matter if you're a blood relative or a friend. Mm. A lot of people just don't know how to treat you and disappear. So they I, do disappear. Yeah. And I mean, I, I get that. I understand. I used to be that kind of person too. I was like, oh no, I'm going to catch the brain thing. Mm. <laughs> but goodness, now I'm much more um, empathetic and compassionate to people, even if it's not, of course, not a brain injury. I understand what it's like to just feel it like you're hung out by yourself to dry, you know? Oh, and wow. Nobody deserves that. It's just, there's, I'm still the person I was before all this. I just have more experience with creating an association and learning. I, I got to learn how to walk two times in my life. So that's pretty great. So do you remember both times? <laughs> no, I don't remember the first time right. I was a baby. Of course. But the second time yeah. was very strange because the rest of my brain says, you know how to do this. But my body's like, no, you don't. This is your host, Dr. Daniel Avasar. I am a brain injury survivor turned neuroscientist. I got into neuroscience to help me make sense of what happened to my mind after my traumatic brain injury. When I was 18 years old, I suffered a severe traumatic brain injury, and it took me about seven years to regain my cognition, my memory, and to get used to the changes that took place in my mind. I hid what I had been through, and I worked very hard at school. I earned a PhD in neuroscience from Dartmouth, followed by a postdoc researcher position at the University of Oregon. I studied the brain at a neurophysiological, cellular, and systems level, which left me with a bottom-up perspective of what had changed in me after my brain injury. But across my recovery, my education, and my research, I never found anything that accurately represents the brain injury survivor's experience. Once I started meeting other brain injury survivors, I realized how important it is to hear about our experiences firsthand. This podcast is devoted to in-depth discussion with other brain injury survivors, focused on our experiences, our problems, and the ways we have found to navigate our lives and our struggles. I hope to connect brain injury survivors through our stories. I hope to help the non-brain injured world learn more about what we are dealing with. And when possible, I hope to connect what is known about the brain with our unique experiences. Welcome to Experiencing My Brain. The views and opinions expressed in the Experiencing My Brain podcast are intended to promote awareness and provide information of what brain injury survivors have to deal with. This information should not be considered as medical or clinical advice. Always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider regarding any medical conditions you may have. So I remember after I recorded this discussion with Chris, um, maybe it was the next day I took my son to the park and I was talking to one of my kid's friend's dads and I was telling him about... Um, this discussion about HOD and how similar it is to brain injury 
and how there's this realization point where you have to, um, you know, realize what is wrong with you and then how there, there isn't the right help and Chris's, um, you know, need to make the right support and the right help and to figure out how to even build an association um, for a rare brain disease. And I remember telling um, my kid's friend's dad about this and he was looking at me and he was saying, wow, that, that would be my biggest fear. My biggest fear would be to get diagnosed with some rare disease and then you, you know, you don't know what to do about it. And yeah, <laughs> meanwhile, um, you know, Chris is in that situation and she's dealing with it. And I appreciate her spirit and her attitude and her willingness to fight the fight against what this is and to even gain traction and figure out how do you help other people? How do you start to get answers? How do you create the support? So, um, yeah, I really, um, I really appreciate this discussion. This is episode 17 of Experiencing My Brain. Okay, so Chris, what, what did you start your group for? What happened was um, I had brain surgery to remove a cavernous malformation okay. on my fourth ventricle. And um, I gained this new weird brain disease, um, which could be damaged from surgery, who knows. Um, and it's called hypertrophic olivary de degeneration. Right. So I spent a good two solid months just crying my eyes out. Yeah. Um, and then I decided, okay, we've got to figure out a way that we can get some research into our disease to figure out what's happening to our brain, how we got this, and if there's anything we can do about it. Right. Um, so I started researching on Nord's website and Nord, which is the National Organization of Rare Diseases. Um, okay. They suggest that we create a patient organization if we want to attract research. So that was the beginning of mm. what we call HODA, H-O-D-A. Hypertrophic Olivary Degeneration Association. It's a mouthful, especially for people with brain injuries. <laughs> it's a mouthful for normal yeah. people. So well, I'm using it as a drill, actually. I'm using it as a drill for remembering big words. And making oh, really? it, yeah, that's why I said it. Because, <laughs> yeah, it, it's totally... So, what you just said is good, and I, I forget sometimes the wording, but finding a way to deal with it, finding if you can do anything about it, you said that, right? I, I yeah. did. That's a really important um, principle, and I guess, but what have you found for yourself and overall? So, overall... Um, I know you talked to Brad. Yeah. Everybody in our group seems to have a few common symptoms, but we're all very different. Okay. Um, like, I'm sure you noticed with Brad, his speech, which would be typical yeah. of somebody with a brain injury in that area, um, my speech hasn't gone that way yet. So mm -hmm. um, we're all just trying to figure out. It's almost like playing symptom bingo. Like, yeah. hey, I have this. Who else has this? You know? So how I'm dealing with this brain injury that, you know, completely altered my life. Of course, yeah. Is trying to figure out, okay, selfishly, how do I get to figure out how this happened to me? Added bonus gets to help everybody else that's in the same boat. We all deal with it differently. Some people, you know, just say, this isn't a thing. I'm fine. Nothing's wrong with me. And ignore it. And that's okay, too. <laughs> right, right. People do make that decision to be like that. Yeah, they yeah. do. And it's something I never understood before. 
because mm. I was always a person that's like, if there's a problem, I'm vanilla ice and I'm going to solve it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not always the case with brain injury and rare disease. I mean, they right. know, as you know, so little right. about the brain. I am also figuring out, like, the figuring out of it part is like, I don't know, it took me like 17 years, you know, because I was like stuck. Symptom bingo. <laughs> okay. That's a good um, t- topic to start to start this with. In order to do symptom bingo, you have to classify your symptoms. Can you explain so, the symptom bingo culture, I guess, is a good way sure. to put it. Yeah. Uh, so we all know that something's happening with us, and we may right. not have the right vernacular or words to deal with it or describe what it is. So yes, yeah. like for me, um, one of my first signs was nystagmus in my left eye, and I didn't know what it was. All I know is... What is nystagmus? Nystagmus is yeah. where, I think it's the pupil of your, your eye moves on its own, or your mm. eyes can move on their own. So mine is, goes in a circle. Oh, interesting. Not a circle, but just kind of like back and forth. Which eye in which directions? It's in my left eye, uh-huh. and it just goes back and forth like... Like a swivel. It swivels, yeah. Okay. And it looks like the image that comes in kind of bounces. Oh, wow. I started asking people before I knew what it was, I'm like, does your vision bounce at all? And they seemed to know what that meant. And then when I got a word for it, nystagmus from my eye doctor, um, it turns out that most of us have that. Okay. And most of us have double vision. Like, I didn't notice that I had double vision until I just stared at the red light on a smoke detector. Uh-huh. And I saw two of them. And I was like, oh, that's a little weird. You know, so then I started looking at other things. I want to see two of that, too. It's almost like these things are creeping in and you're building like, you know, like Pac-Man, like an awareness to like gobble them up. You're not, you're not dealing with them yet, but you're just building even an awareness of what is happening, right? Yes. Isn't that yes. weird? Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. And with our particular brain injury, there, there's no treatments for it. I mean, you can treat the symptoms. Right. One, one at a time. Like I in particular have spasticity and not, I don't know that anyone else really has that. Uh-huh. I think one other person mentioned they do. Um, and that's my worst symptom. What's that one like? What's it like? Oh, it's painful. Oh, yeah? It is painful. So I'm on a muscle relaxer 24 hours a day. Uh-huh. Um, and the spasms break through okay. sometimes. So I have a massage chair. And usually when I wake up in the morning, I have to, I need a few minutes just to get my muscles moving. Right, sure, sure, sure. Um, some days I can't walk. Some days I just have to kind of sit where I'm at and just kind of deal with it. Mm-hmm. I, walk like I'm 90 years old, no offense to 90 year olds, but. Why do you end up in a confirmation of looking like a 90 years old? Do you know what I mean? Why does your body end up in that shape? Cause I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. Describe like the, I gotta get up-ness of it. And then you're stuck in acting like a 90 year old physically, you know, like. Yeah. Do you it's, have that kind of experience? I. I do. It seems to, some days it's awful, but most days it seems to, I start out okay and mm-hmm. then it progresses into, and it's almost like you just fold into okay. yourself just because it relieves the tension in the muscles a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not a pleasant thing. Um, and I, I know in pop culture, there's some artists that have had to re-record some songs because they use the term spaz. 
Uh -huh. um, and when I was a kid growing up, I'm 46, so when I was a kid growing up, that was a, I mean, don't be such a spaz. And now I'm like, oh no, this is karma. <laughs> Nobody else really has this. Yeah. I'll tell you what, when you get one in your rib cage, wow, that hurts wow. so much. <laughs> Where's the feeling in the ribs? Because I, yeah, if you can describe it enough. It's kind of right on the side. It's like um, if you were ever a runner or anything like that, it's kind of like a, a runner stitch kind of, where it just okay. tightens okay. up and you can't breathe. You just breathe real shallow until it dissipates. Wow. Yeah, it's it's a little different, but, you know, that's what I got now. So, so then how do you, you you deal with it through the pharmacology? Is there other yeah, ways to deal with it? I have, I'm fortunate enough to have a massage chair. Mm. So if it gets real bad, um, if they're breaking through the medication, which happens pretty frequently mm -hmm. for me right now, um, then I'll just go sit in the massage chair for 20 minutes and that it does help to relieve it a little bit, but most of the time it's just kind of grin and bear it. Right. Just handle it, you know. You said that you were crying the first two months and then you made some kind of a shift internally, yeah. but does that pain and the crying feeling come back? Like, do you go to that? It does. Yeah. Um, it's, I heard the best thing on a podcast the other day. A man says, I know how to pick out everybody who has Parkinson's because they all look great. <laughs> People tell me all the time, well, you look great, you look yeah. fine. Um, but I don't feel fine. I, I, I'm a really good actor. And I yes. think most of us are where we pull it off where, no, I'm normal. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. I'm normal. But every day is a battle to choose. Yeah. Like, am I just, am I going to cry today? Or am I going to be a fighter today? Am I going to be okay today? Am I just going to survive today? Is it always a choice, I guess? It's not always not a choice. Always, right. Some days it's just overwhelming, like, you know, like, yeah, thinking yeah. about, hey, I'm going to be in a nursing home and I'm not going to die from this, but my symptoms will probably kill me from aspirating liquid into my lungs. Oh, and, you know, yeah. be able to control that. So not everyone has the luxury of knowing how the end is going to be. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. So then in that sense, you have, like, that's a symptom that you're managing and working with and then... Yeah. There's other symptoms, other problems. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I wonder. I I, I hide. Um, I hate how I think about this because I'm at this point. I felt like I just need to capture what other people are dealing with. So I want to be like an anthropologist, but I mm -hmm. also um, agree with a lot of what you're saying. I so in my experience, and maybe I'll just record this, but I won't put it out there like it's like there's these core problems the core problems are the things that are wrong with you and that's where the symptom um figuring out how to deal with it begins right and then that becomes therapies or whatever so that's that's a thing i think i can i'm trying to build a way to like an advisor at that level i think is really helpful but i've never done that i've had some discussions with people i met at groups that has helped them also then i've had discussions with the people that have gotten out of a physical brain injury which is different than hod so i think about the brain like this there's a bunch of different clusters of neurons that interconnect with different clusters of neurons forming networks upon networks upon networks and the olivarian nucleus from what i i don't remember what i learned but i remember thinking of this nucleus as highly 
integrated into all these networks. And so it's like the question I would have as a scientist trying to figure this out is if people are treating the symptoms, does that mean that there are people who get better and have HOD when they get that specific symptom treated? Do people know about that? See, and that that's the mystery, right? Okay. Like some people like me aren't so bad off. You know, okay. we have, we've met a person who is convinced that if you treat the symptoms, your HIV is, is cured. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I mean, right. More dormant at some points. And you may, I mean, I know that with um, vestibular PD, PT, physical therapy, that really helped me. I'm still dizzy every day, but I yeah. can walk without a walker now. Wow. Thinking about what you're saying, and what you're saying reminds me of like, it's like you get into the wormhole of brain injury, and then with HOD, you're in another more invisible in the invisible wormhole. Yeah. I would guess though, and here's what I would say to anyone who's working on the recovery, which is why I connect those two HOD being a, a subversion of brain injury. Um, the brain's levels of interconnectivity can be utilized to promote, even if something degenerates, you can rebuild something else. But the levels of what that degenerative parts of your brain affected could be, you know, if you have um, some symptom A versus some symptom B versus the fear of this aspiration, it's so different that you can't even like um, compare, you know, you can't even. So yeah. I think that was core problems. If you can round up the core problem in terms of thinking about the brain injured part of it, then it becomes two things to learn how to drill it and work on it. And also to not let the symptoms that progress get activated and then starts a downward spiral because then you're some of those things you cannot fix, but the plan that you're using is at least a way to management. I think getting the other things to be better could help like sort of raise the water level overall. So, yeah. so having good sleep, having good diet and having exercise is the one of the biggest things that I think is underutilized. If you're doomed to the degeneration, I imagine somebody thinking about it, they're doomed to the degeneration, the brain injury is affecting parts of them that other people don't even understand, then for that person, they're going to feel hopeless about it. Um, so it seems like you have at least enough supports. Do you have the support in your life to be able to work on these things? And, you know, to create an association is very difficult. So do you have that? It's... It's, I, I do have good support. Okay. Um, what I've found, especially with brain injury and brain disease and brain surgery, is that a lot of people can't handle being around that. It doesn't matter if you're a blood relative or a friend. Mm. A lot of people just don't know how to treat you and... Disappear. Sorry. They do disappear. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I get that. I, understand, I used to be that kind of person, too. I was like, oh, no, I'm going to catch the brain thing. Mm. But... <laughs> Now I'm much more um, empathetic and compassionate to people, even if it's not, of course, not a brain injury. I understand what it's like to just feel it like you're hung out by yourself to dry, you know? Oh, and wow. Nobody deserves that. It's just, there's, I'm still the person I was before all this. I just have more experience with creating an association and learning. I, I got to learn how to walk two times in my life, so that's pretty great. So do you remember both times? <laughs> no, I don't remember the first time right. when I was a baby. Of course. <laughs> the second time yeah. was very strange because the 
rest of my brain says, you know how to do this, but my body is like, no, you don't. Wow. Okay. So then what did you, how did you deal with that? I saw it as a problem and I just, okay, if I walked 15 steps today, tomorrow I'm going to walk 16. You know, mm-hmm. I just had to keep, for me, just making new goals to accomplish because that's a big driver for me. Um, and I know that's not a thing for everybody. And I'm fascinated by people who aren't motivated like that mm-hmm. or like me and just have a strange drive to accomplish. And that's how I was before. And, you know, that has carried me over. I just have this really strange drive that's just like nobody understands it and nobody understood it before. It's like, why do you do? Why do you keep pushing? I don't know. why. I'm tired. I want to not push. <laughs> the you you were before this, is it a disorder? Is it a disease? Or is it an injury? What do you call it? Both of mine are brain diseases. Brain disease. Before it's brain disease, were you pushing yourself because you liked it? Because you had to? Do you remember the drive back then? It was, it's not because I like it. I just have always had a drive uh-huh. Uh-huh. to succeed and to accomplish um, but it was in different areas before, and now it's my drive to succeed and accomplish is to save my quality of life for as long as I can. Yeah, yeah. and It's definitely a weird kind of mindset. <laughs> yeah, because you still want to do something with your yeah. life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not upset that this happened to me because yeah. my legacy now is something to be really proud of. And before it was just, oh, yay, well, I worked... For most of my life, at the rat race, and yay, big deal. Who cares? This is way more fulfilling. It feels like bigger than anything I've ever been a part of. That's great, then, and that's great that you can feel that. So your whole life, you've been able to feel your emotions. Part I think of you. That's part of the drive is you yeah. shove those emotions down. You don't feel them. You're just like a machine. But this has brought me the richness of what emotion can be, and I'm okay to cry in front of people now and right. admit that, hey, I have got to go take a nap or, hey, I'm having a panic attack and I can't be a part of this anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to set boundaries, which I don't think I was able to do before. Boundaries with yourself or with others? With myself and with others. Um, I used to really be a big people pleaser um, and now I don't see value in that, so I mm. don't. If it doesn't serve me anymore, I don't do. I don't do it. Yeah, that makes sense. And this is a complicated question, but you said that you feel like yourself on the inside. You're the same person, but you're also the same person. Then you're changing too. So, like, how how do you um, deal with that? Because it, it's like a crazy mind fuck. It's like a constant mind. It is. <laughs> um, yeah, it seems like. Before I was kind of stuck in a rut, like this is just who I am and I'm not going to change. And now it's, it's, it seems like I have to change to be able to adapt and survive. Right. So, I mean, I don't know if that makes any sense. Most of the stuff I say, I don't know if it makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm like, um, I'm literally trying to push this discussion because I can relate with a lot of what you're saying. And Good. and it's like trying to get it into words is like um, yeah that's kind of what I've been doing the last few years and I I like vomited it all out and then I just like mm-hmm. I actually so 
I couldn't feel my feelings until the last few years, and I'm still dealing with it. And the emotions, it's not the same as the anxiety of, am I going to be stuck like this? And so I was pushing myself so much. And I remember about four years of the recovery in these cycles of, I can't do this. This is the hardest thing ever. Frustration, anxiety, start, and then 15 steps become 17 steps. It wasn't for walking. It was for all the things in my head. So I don't feel like I was the same person anymore after my brain injury. So I can imagine that all of their degeneration could cause that in some person's mind, you know? I actually got used to it because it's like, it's such a mind fuck that it's like you're constantly not, I'm no longer me inside myself, but no one sees it. So then I'm just going to move on and pretend, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I can relate to that for yeah. sure. There's pieces of me that carried through, and thank goodness I was such a hard ass before, <laughs> and I was so structured and so strict because that has helped me to, to be able to create the organization. That is what then? That is discipline. That is ability to plan or abilities to like build these bigger projects. Or um, can you define more what that is that stated with you? Sure. So definitely structure. I know I've always been like super logical. Now my dad is a was he's retired now. Was an electrical engineer, so logic plays a huge role in my entire upbringing. You know, it's it's just everything was always very logical with him, and he raised us. So it's just something you kind of adapted to as a kid, and then it just kind of carries through into your adulthood. Now, with the brain changes, I'm able to color outside the lines better. Uh -huh. uh, before it was very rigid, very black and white, and now it's just, there's a lot of gray in my life, which is good. Oh, I'm happy with gray. <laughs> did the black and white and the logic, um, did you lose that part, or is it still there? Is it? It's still there, but I'm more capable of accepting failure now. Oh. Um, I'm more capable of accepting that maybe I don't have to be perfect in everything. I don't have to, you know... At work, I don't have to run circles around all of my colleagues anymore. Like That was very important to me. I wanted to make sure that I, I mean, not that I actually ever accomplished running circles around them. But well, you needed to, yeah, to. you wanted to and you needed that, yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, and it's like I would always go the extra mile. It didn't matter. I mean, I would go to work every day with migraines. Wow. Because yeah. I just couldn't allow, I, if I called in sick, then I'm a failure. And now I'm like, mm, I don't feel good. I'm out of here, dudes. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, that's an interesting example, going to work with migraines, never missing a day. Migraines plus what you're describing could be like a mini boot camp for brain injury stuff because you're dealing with something inside. No one sees what you're dealing with. And then they expect whatever, and you actually have to do the work. So then you just put yourself through that, and you got used, you got used to yeah. it, maybe? In a way. Yeah, I think yeah. I just kind of, got used to it and then it just became a habit I think and then you were able to manage those symptoms enough or you're able to push through them or what most of the time I could manage them um, of course I had my little tricks like I knew the Tylenol can work for me to kill a migraine a little bit at least take the edge off enough right. but the problem with migraine is sometimes there's just a tell in your like my my left eye would always droop mm -hmm. so my colleagues always knew I had a migraine because my left eye would be <laughs> 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 no, 
no, I'm fine. Shoot. Or like, yeah. you know, this whole side of my face looks kind of droop. I'm like, wow, wow. No, I, no, I'm fine. Everything's great. No problem. But sometimes it would get out of control when I go home. But I even work with people. My boss gets migraines. And one of my cowork- a couple of my coworkers get them. And <laughs> oh, like, so this? it's kind of like a thing that you guys accept. Wow. Yeah, so that's the crazy life before. I like this side of it. Yeah. Honestly. You know, I, I like how you said that. And I'm new to this side and still trying to get used to the um like i don't have to do this i don't have to like get this done each day and i have like maybe the old inner voice is lessened but yeah it's hard it's hard to make a shift like that it's not an easy process it's not unless you have a major brain problem can you share what how what have you used at that mindset level or whatever to build that I did, um, after my brain surgery, I did um, I, I did a lot of work with a psychologist that specializes in chronic illness. Okay. okay. And we talked through a lot of things like, she, I, she would ask me about work and then she, she would ask me questions that really made me think about, it, why do you feel like you have to be the guy that's there every day? You, yeah, yeah. Your company gives you vacation and sick time right so why do you feel like it's your responsibility i never it never even occurred to me that i was doing stuff like that so it was just you or sorry i'm I'm interjecting but it was just the way you are yeah yeah it was it was me putting these rules into place like these black and white rules that Mm -hmm. you need to be the best you need to you know be the guy that everyone wants around or the gal whatever you know um everyone wants on their team because you know they all know that you'll never let them down kind of thing but Mm. now i just like i think nobody ever had any kind of expectation like that of me at all and you had it of you and you just assumed yeah 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 and that's part of self-care right where you can accept that it's okay to not be a hundred percent or a hundred and no such thing as 110 percent but it's okay to not be on point every minute of every day right because you have that attitude and you adopt that attitude and then it's relenting or it's exhausting yeah it's totally exhausting well especially when the self-care that you're describing is so hard to do because it's like yeah it's it's, so the self-care aspect of it do you have other examples to share or other symptoms that you have that you've developed a self-care to deal with so (laughs) It's funny because we're recording this on a Thursday and usually by this point in the week, I am wrecked. Right. So what yeah. I've adopted is every on Saturdays, that's my day. I do nothing, uh-huh. absolutely nothing because I need to give my body the rest from the spasticity. I need to give my brain the rest from working. Um, I stress really, really physically hurts me now. So I have to take, I don't care what anyone right. else wants to do. Right. I can say no to plans. I am not going to do anything on Saturdays. That is my day, but I do nothing. When you do nothing, what do you do? <laughs> I do a lot of binge watching. Right. Because it's just, it's kind of mindless, right? Turn on, I don't even remember half the stuff I watch anyway. Just, I just turn it on and just kind of zone out. And just <laughs> I just sit, you know, and yeah. I couldn't do that before it. Saturday, I had to make sure my house was perfectly clean. 
Um, Sunday, I had to get everything ready for the week, mm -hmm, make sure mm -hmm. everyone's fed, cook dinner for everybody every night, and I did. Now, just, I feel like I'll do it. If I don't, I won't. What's your family situation? It's fine. I didn't even ask. So, um, my husband and I live together. Our, we have, well, he has a daughter from a previous marriage who lives in Texas. Uh -huh. Um, and then my, I have a daughter from a previous marriage, and she had moved out. But then after all the stuff started happening with me, she came back home to okay. kind of, it was too much anxiety and stress on her not knowing what was going on with me because, oh, wow. you know, yeah. she'd call and I'd be like, oh, I'm fine, don't worry, I'm not dead yet, I'm fine. <laughs> so she wanted to be here to kind of help. She's 21. Okay. She's just getting her life started, so. Mm -hmm. So it helps both of you guys, or both of you Of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, with the way that the economy has been going, she has not been able to, she had an apartment, but it got too expensive. Yeah, so yeah. Just, I was like, this is a win-win. You know, if something happens to me, she's here and she can help. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That was a good example. I think it's highly relatable. Everyone has a version of that. I imagine you had to build up to having just one day of rest to allow yourself to recoup because it's not a uh, linear process in figuring that out. It is not. Yeah, um, it's and like I work from 6 a.m. until 3 p.m. So at 3 p.m. Uh -huh. I kind of go and just I start working on my association tasks and make sure that I'm reaching out to people that I need to reach out to and handle the things I need to. And then I'll just kind of I decide, do I feel okay enough to cook dinner or is somebody else going to be in charge of that? So I do a little bit of relaxing every day. Mm -hmm. um, I noticed though that when it gets very stressful at work towards the end of the week, I really just can't do anything extra. Right. Yeah. And, you know, if it's bad, then I just call in sick. <laughs> it's funny because I have a devil's advocate in my head and I think about what you're describing I could hear someone saying, well, so she was a superwoman and now she just works regular, so she's fine. And then I'm like, the stuff inside is what is the thing that is wrong. It's, it's, um, is the body stuff constantly there or is it come and go? Um, when I sleep, it kind of resets. Oh, so good, good, good. Most days when I wake up, I feel decent. I feel good. I mean, I don't feel like I could go out and run. Right. But I do feel okay enough to. You know, move around. I'm not super tight or anything like that. So. Right. Do you have a progression through the day? You mentioned that you get much more tired by three. So that yeah. progression, what's that like? It's kind of like in the morning, it's party. Yeah, we got this. How are you for <laughs> the morning? And then about 10 o'clock, I'm like, oh, I'm starting to fall off that course a little bit. And by noon, I usually take an hour lunch break. And sometimes I'll just go take a nap and try right. and recharge. And sometimes... I can do my um, plasticity brain games to kind of help my memory a bit. Um, it just, it all just, every day is a new day. I never know when I'm Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and when you fall off those, the horse, it's more falling off the horses. Can you describe the horses? You have the, the dizziness that's constant. The dizziness is constant. Okay. And I am so happy for the people that don't experience this. Um, if I, Stand, if I'm standing up and I sit down, it feels like it just dropped on a roller coaster. And it takes a little bit for that to resolve out of my stomach. Mm -hmm. Like you get a little bit sick about it. But um, usually it's more 
brain tired more than anything. Like, okay, right. I don't know. I mean, I grew up playing sports, and so my body was always sore. Right. So it's just, it's like just something you learn to kind of, well, it's fine. It's not, I'm not dead yet. So that's you accept fine. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the brain tired. And when, you know, people will ask me a question about something I said five minutes ago, I'm, I don't, sorry, I don't remember. I don't remember even talking about that. Oh, <laughs> that's, wow. And oh. that's when I get really kind of like, I should stop talking and just start zoning out and letting my brain kind of refresh itself. So if it happened, three hours earlier, whatever the interaction was, that memory problem likely would not have happened. But once you hit that point where then the end of the yeah. day, yeah. Okay. yeah, okay. It's like in the morning, it's great because I'm fresh. And so my brain is working on remembering the things that I'm working on. Mm -hmm. There's a through line to things, but mm -hmm. after like, after work, um, I have a harder time with the through line. As you can see, my I, I know that you probably do the same thing where you kind of have to pause and really think about what you're saying and really kind of thread the needle. And sometimes I can do it okay, and sometimes I'm a lost cause. What is the threading of the needle that you just said? So I, I used to um, feel like I was a pretty good conversationalist, but mm -hmm. now I feel like I jump all over the place and I can't really stay on one topic very well. Right. I just... What, you know, when a thought comes to you, you're like, oh, wait, I just thought of something else. <laughs> so is it with conversation or with thought? It's kind of a combination of both. Okay. So um, I, I've noticed also that the later in the day that it gets, it's harder for me to understand. If I'm like watching a television show or something, it's harder for me to understand what's happening. Mm -hmm. Although I'm not like completely out of touch with what's happening it's just a little bit more challenging to especially okay, like okay. really deep movies or tv shows things like that are thinkers i'm like oh yeah no i can't watch i can watch it but i'm gonna have to watch it a few times because i'm not gonna understand okay if you've watched any of them a few times and regained the understanding what are the, what's the characteristics of the not being able to understand problem Okay, so a perfect example is like Stranger Things. Okay. I had to watch this last season three times mm. because I was like, wait, who is, who is that guy? What is this guy doing? So is it the who? Is it the faces? Is it the what's happening? Is it putting it's it all together? It's the action and it's the, okay, but why is this? It's not the faces. I, can, I stopped trying to figure out, like, remember people's names. I can see the person and say, okay, this is the role that this person plays. Right, right, right. I don't, I couldn't tell you any other names at all, except for 11. <laughs> because <laughs> that's a number, and I love numbers. I'm like, but, um, so it's more the figuring out the plot and the plot twists. Okay, really okay. Right, because then it would, and that thing's full of plot twists. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it, it took me, no joke, three times to get through it, and I'm like, and you know, they jump around to different places and there's different groups doing different things so you have to keep all of these things in mind and remember what happened you know things yeah. like that so did you watch it three times with the goal of trying to understand it and then yes. and then finally understand it yes yeah that's great that's awesome yes. that's the that's the kind of stuff so for my recovery that was the kind of stuff that became 
the only thing I was doing to make those kinds of exercises for myself. Mm-hmm. And it's um, if the HOD degeneration can happen while a person is regaining those things, then I think that if enough symptoms were dealt with, unless it's affecting like your aspiration and breathing and basic mm-hmm. shit, then it, sh- it could be something that you could restore. It could be something that you would gain back. But anyway, I, I like that idea because that's the aspiration I had across my brain injury recovery too. And then I also had another question that I wrote from earlier. Um, the disappearing earlier, we said that, and I wrote that down and I forgot. How people disappear from your life. You said, I said disappear, and maybe you had a different way to describe it. Do you want to talk about that? I'll talk about anything. Yeah. Um, what was really hard for me was I thought that I had certain friends, and you think that those friends and family, honestly, are going to be there for you, mm-hmm. and they're going to check in on you, and they will just send a text message that says, hey, just thinking about you, but the people that I thought would be there the most were not there at all and still are not there. Um, And then there's other people that I was just an acquaintance with when this happened, they just really snapped into being there. So it was, it was, I was very emotional about that too. Yeah. um, Because, you know, when you think you're really good friends um, or daughter or sister or whatever, you know, role you're playing um and then it kind of comes to reality when the going gets tough sometimes not everyone shows up to get going you know um so that was hard to accept and i from that i've been much more guarded with who i'll i will give parts of my life to if there's people that if they don't care about me and they're just there for whatever god knows what reason I'm not going to put any energy into that. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah. I used to. I used to chase those people, but I refuse to chase those people now. You can't chase them. I, I've come to a new realization, maybe, that those people are the most hurt by seeing us like this, so they can't yeah. deal with it. And in that sense, it actually just makes me feel really sad about the whole situation. But um, I used to be angry about it. I'm going to dismiss those people because... They can't even handle it. Then I'm not going to interact with them, you know. So, yeah, it. I don't want to sound like I've dismissed people out of my life, but for sure, um, there's people that if they need something, I'm going to be there for them in the way that they were there for me. Right. And I, re- I also came to the conclusion. I think I just scare people because I was hmm. your average, everyday, ordinary person, you know, and if you see yourself in somebody and you see that these tragic things can happen to them, then it can happen to you. And that's very scary. Right. Right. You know, right. It, it yeah, kind of yeah. knocks at people's reality a little bit that yeah. we're all guaranteed to <laughs> just be fine all the way until we die. Right. And it's, yeah. just, it's not the case. And that we're going to die. You know, that's the one I think about more nowadays. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to just jump to the other thing that I want to say to you. The other half of my recovery was a lesson in the taking care of myself. If you're hitting the wall where you're starting to get tired, imagine where that wall is, move to 75 or 80%, don't get there, and then live a life there. 
it took me four or five years to recognize that benefit. And then when I started to do that, the fifth to seventh year of my recovery was like, oh, wow, things are actually coming back. So that's my experience with, I think that that's an essential piece to it. So I would offer that advice to you. It'd be, it's really hard to do. Yeah. As you're telling me, it's hard for me to conceptualize, like, what does 75% look like? The way... I'm only yeah. a into this. Yeah. Okay. Um, one example, a simple example, I had a discussion with a woman at the first support group that I started going to. And she's like, I can't even walk. I can't even leave my house. I can't even read. I can't even do this. I can't even water the plants. I can't even... I was like, okay, can you water the plants? Can you fill the thing, the, the water can? Uh, I don't know. I, I, I told you, I can't walk back. Fill the water container, make that become your drill. And then mm-hmm. now she can do that. She's doing that for weeks. Now start watering, start watering. And I remember her asking me and another guy who had his brain injury many years ago. And he was like in a coma for many months. They told his wife to pull the plug. He came back and then he really recovered a lot. Mm-hmm. But he and I had the same advice for this woman, and she kept implementing it. When you can't do it, and then you get to the limit, and then you back off to half, and then you then you can find the seventy percent mark. And building awareness has taken a different form. So then it's harder to figure out where that seventy percent is. Yeah, but, but I can certainly relate to like breaking tasks down into bite-sized pieces, and then hey, I can do this now. So can I? Yeah. Take it just like a little bit further, you right. know. I've I've learned that that is really the best way to make any kind of change. And um, I read I can't remember the book, of course, but it's about brain plasticity, and that gave me a lot of hope mm-hmm. that hey, I can maybe reroute some of these tasks up here to make things a little easier. Maybe you know it m- might just take practicing talking out loud to, yeah, yeah, yeah. to work my brain to remember the words that I'm trying to say instead of just being defeated like, oh, I can't think of the words, so forget <laughs> it, I'm done, you know? Right. It's, you really have to, with the self-care, ha- exercise a lot of grace and patience with yourself and give yourself a break and just be okay. Yeah, and that's nice that you have come to that same conclusion. Then what I'm saying is the same tools just implemented a little bit more this direction of mm-hmm. with the reason that if you don't reach the limit point, certain um, things can grow better, maybe. Yeah. That, 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 that is not a guarantee. That's what I've observed. And I've observed in another person that I met that had the same experience like that. Um, to promote that in people would be good. So yeah, it's like finding that 70% point. Anyway, I just wanted to throw that out there. We don't know what we're capable of, right? I mean, it's almost to the point where, for me, pain reminds me that I'm alive. And it's not wow, the forefront yeah. of my brain all the time. It's just it's just a thing. It's not good or bad. It's just a thing for me. Um, I know that some people are in horrible pain all the time. And yeah. I, you know, I'm not going to say I'm lucky because I feel like that's toxic positivity because I don't think that. It's just we all deal with things a little bit differently whatever right. if it takes me a straight line and you a squiggly line to get to the same place what does it matter we're the same place mm. you know it's just dealing with the grief of the worst part of all this was grieving for the life that i thought i was going to have and accepting the life that i'm now going to have wow so you know that was 
that I fought that so hard and I have met so many people that just fight that like but I'm, I can't I can't grieve the life that I can't do that yes you can you can it's it hurts like a motherfucker let me tell you but that was the most healing thing that I've been able to do and every day I kind of have to think about that a little you, you know, have to think. you have to revisit that yeah you have to get comfortable with yeah this person I used to be was a badass but the person I am now is a bigger badass it's just a different badass really acceptance is I think a lot of people mistake positivity for just acceptance I accept that this is the way it's going to be and is my body what it used to be no it is not but that's okay I this is who I am now and I can accept where I'm at in this space, in this time, in this moment. I'm, I'm okay with me. And I can't say that before all this happened to me. I was always like picking on myself and, well, you're not perfect in this area. And maybe your hair's too short. And maybe, you know, you're not as pretty as your sister. And none of that stuff even like occurs to me anymore. Yeah. I just, just being okay with who you are and what you're doing and the place you're at in your journey and recognizing that this is a marathon. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not a marathon because a marathon ends. A marathon you train for. You go, well, this will end too when I die. Well, fine. Okay, but, but I think uh, I people say it's not experience a marathon. I'm like, well, it's not a marathon. It's, um, you know, like the Oregon Trail, like, that trip, but but forever, it's forever. <laughs> maybe, but maybe you'll just be the one that keeps the um, caravan going. You know, it's yeah. I know friends who train for marathons, have a marathon, oh, and then they drink their champagne that I haven't drank in six weeks because I've been training for this marathon. I'm like, good for you. I, I'm not take nothing as marathoners. This is not a marathon. This is something else. Yeah. I, I agree with. <laughs> I agree with you. It's not yeah. a marathon. It's, yeah. it's kind of never ending. It's the never ending story. Right. Oh, yeah. That actually is better than the Oregon Trail. Yeah. You um, can still change and move into different places, but it's just, it's always going to be there. Yeah. The people I know that have brain injuries and brain problems are the most loving, funny, caring people I've ever met in my life. They just accepted me and they care about me. And I, I've never had that in my life. Wow. I haven't, um, I've had different levels of connections with different brain injured people. I've always feel like I'm half in, half out. And <laughs> and even with, yeah, it's weird. Oh. But I, I have met very caring and um, I've met the only people that I actually feel supported with about this whole thing are two brain injured people and I feel something from them that I was like, oh, that was it was like a void, it was missing, but I didn't understand what it was. And then it felt like a wave of validation at first, but now I feel like it's more like a connection about this. Yeah, so. yeah, I I feel that, Yeah, 100%. And, you yeah. know, I can connect with normal people, but... You can, you, you're able to, so... I can, but I also feel this, I feel like they can't connect with me necessarily because they want to, I don't want to say infantilize, but... I just, it's like, uh, what was it? I just read it, dis disability porn. Like they want to look at my story and they want to call me a hero. 
And then oh, once yeah, you, yeah. you know, that drives me nuts. I'm not a hero. Yeah. You would save your own life too if you had no other choice. Well, you said that word before the toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a obviously toxic negativity, mm-hmm. but the toxic positivity is um I'm not trying to attack them, but I I want to like identify it because it, it's not honest, but toxic I'm not positive. I'm not attacking toxic positivity. And oh, you, I am. Yeah. Okay. Well, f- fair enough. I, maybe I should. <laughs> you said a different term, disability porn. Yeah. What is that? So disability porn, and I I have run into it through this whole journey, but I just got a name for it this weekend, actually. One of my friends posted something on somewhere, and I was like, that is exactly right. Disability porn, where people, uh, normal people use people in our community to try to feel like, it's like, feel good. When you see on the news about a kid who maybe is injured and, oh, look, they got to run in a race. Mm, I feel so good about that. But what they're not showing you is the nights that the kid lays in bed crying or sobbing or, you know, doesn't know if they can get out of bed today. Well, they're not showing you anything else. Exactly. We want you normal people to feel good because look at us special people out here doing normal things. Oh, yay for us. Where's my gold? You know. I don't like that. I don't, I'm just a person. Just like you're just a person. We're just trying to understand what's happening or what's happened to us and maybe help other people through. Right. So with the toxic positivity, what drives me crazy, and I just saw something, um, someone posted something about now's the time of year where we um, celebrate people, people who suffer from a certain disease. I'm like, suffer? How about live with? Mm-hmm. Right? We're not suffering. We're living our lives. They just look a little bit different from a normal person, but we're just living our lives. So yeah, that's where yeah. I get really upset with, you know, discounting someone's feelings or journey or, or telling them that they should be grateful. It could be so much worse. Well, sure. If you're not dead, it could always be worse. <laughs> I just, I, I, that gets under my skin so bad. Like, right, right. I don't need to be grateful that I got this. You don't need to be grateful that this happened to you. But, you know, it's for me, I can look at it with gratitude. Like, oh, this happening to me has taught me different things, but I don't need anybody to tell me that I need to be grateful at any point. I know what you're talking about. I, I think that the um, one issue is the nature of the internet and social media creating these like brackets for it. But that's been in the news probably since before social media that inability to um inability to deal with it and then there's complete discounting of what the person is dealing with there's a complete um i don't even know what to call it yeah lack of just just, ignoring the hard stuff really like right 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 (laughs) i hear people when they say that if this hadn't happened to me i wouldn't be here today and i'm like i would never I, i would never say that i could never say that there's never a way that you could envision that for something like this, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. Toxic positivity. I think I think the toxicity part of it is um also it's insincere. It's like this mm-hmm. painted I'm gonna keep this persona and that's it. And I'm like, but what about all the difficult stuff? Like you're not talking about that. Right. Right. It's just it to me it's almost a complete rejection of reality. And <laughs> the thing I've been saying lately to people yeah. when, you know, some people don't realize how serious 
this is that I'm dealing with. And they'll be like, oh my gosh, I just totally lost my train of thought. It's not funny. Um, Rejection of reality by these people. Yeah, they'll be like, yeah, it's like, I, I just tell people, see, this sometimes is the product of your thoughts and prayers right here. It's, uh, it's not all rainbows and unicorns every day. It's yeah. just not. Life isn't that way for anybody. That's true. This, it is. Yeah. It, they're seriously missing out on the good stuff. Do it, you know. So I know, mm -hmm. I know what you're talking about with that level. And then, when my brain injury happened. Um, I had a different version of weaving the the needling the thread in terms of uh, actually connecting the thoughts and putting the thought into my head was one of the hardest ones to get to happen, and that was like weird. And then other internal things were like, okay, this is no longer. Um, the rules of reality completely changed after my brain injury, but they don't understand what you're dealing with. So I'm like, okay, I'll just be quiet. You know, I, I was like really good at smoking weed and not getting caught in like sixth grade. And I could just like do that. But I never, I didn't, I got scared of marijuana for other reasons, but I could do that. I just kept that um, mindedness through this. Yeah, it's, it's been crazy. Oh, <sighs> I think that I want to stop because I'm getting tired and Okay. Yeah. That's okay because um, I, I have an appointment. I have to take my dog to get a pain med shot. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> this has also been good for me because I get into these, um, like you said, it. you started the association for selfish reasons. I was starting this to like have the discussions and it's become meeting people too, which is actually good because you know that whole connecting with other people thing about it. I ignored that for a long time. Um, yeah. yeah. It's hard. It's really hard. That could be something we talk about in another discussion. Because I try to save the ideas. When I listen to it again, I get into the emotional stuff. And then also I'm like, oh, that's a good question. Oh, that's a good further question. And I'm hoping to have these like slow building discussions with different people. So I think that is yeah. awesome. Cool. I love that idea. Great. Thank you. Because <laughs> I've been thinking about it for a long, long time. And when it hit me. I was like, that's a good idea. And then I, it's well, actually... It's it's just, especially huh. for people like us, you don't get a lot of people to talk to. You don't get to really relate very, because how many people have pictures of their brains? You know, it's a very small population. They have, we have things inside us that change and we constantly deal with it. And then the managing it and um, finding a way to deal with it is, I appreciate that discussion because I have spent an enormous amount of time doing that. And then I'm pretty good at it actually for my, for myself. For another person, it's harder because you don't know what the hell they're doing. Um, right. Yeah, and then the improvement stuff. So, yeah, that's 60 to 80% rule is what I called it. In my experience, I can't do this thing. I start, I get the steps, and then I hit the fatigue wall, and then I back up. And then I live in the 60 80% for everything, but also um, nothing ever goes according to plan. There's a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of problems. <laughs> So, it, yeah. it, and then in that time, I was like, oh, things are actually coming back. So that would be cool to experiment and test in yourself. And then when you're like, oh, shit, what am I supposed to be doing? I should have just done another 20 minutes. Be like, no, this is why I'm doing it to try to get better in a, in a different way, you know, so. Yeah, I'm cool. looking forward to trying this. Very cool. Let me know, yeah. And my energy for sure. Because, you know, once you get that brain drain, it's like, oh, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to talk. Exactly. Want to exactly. So I had 
a five-year journey of that and learning because I would put myself in bed for three days and then I learned to not do that but I would still do it sometimes and then it actually became a schedule with the academics every finals I would hit that and then I eventually stopped doing that but it was um I could have probably still stayed in that level if I didn't manage myself differently um and at the three-year mark I'd say I started learning this rule but it took until the five-year mark to actually realize it and then five to seven was where things really came back so who knows yeah I don't know I don't have the data set to show that well these people that had it you know I just have my experience so all right. right. Well, you know, there's some people that want to get better and some people don't. So some people are open to that and some people are not. I think everyone is wanting to. They just get so exhausted by it and the lack of help and the the shit yeah. keeps piling up. So I would like to think, but also I know that um, not everyone can work the way you work. Not everyone can push. Oh, no. Right. Yeah, no, I know that this is an anomaly. <laughs> it, it, I, yeah. I'm just making hay while the sun is shining because... Yeah. You know, I don't think I'll be able to finish the year working. I think I'm going to have to go on disability pretty soon because wow. it's just becoming too much. So then that and would be... Too. Yeah, but, but then that might be a good place to give the 60-80% rule starts at 60%, starts at 50%. Yeah. It, could, it couldn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm looking forward to trying that. Great. That sounds great. great. I'll, yeah, I'd love to know how it goes. And that thing also took months to feel a change. So it's really weird. It's not it's not a band-aid. It's not a it's its own um weird phase of brain injury stuff that I've recorded now with a few people. I'm like, okay, that's a thing. That's great. And it's very slow and it's very yeah, it's um it consistent with neurological development. Three to five year old, you know, the way that things change in those years. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, that makes sense. Yeah. I like that idea. I have a four year old. I, like <laughs> I have a four year old. I'm going to steal that from you. I hope you don't mind. I think I've had this idea before because it's not a relearning. I remember thinking it's not a relearning curve. It's like a redeveloping curve. But I, I didn't have that part of the thought. Well, like thought. a regeneration kind of. Regeneration, and, but development has. Um, you know how development sucks or like sometimes there's frustrations and there's like the learning, there's a painful yeah. parts of it. Yeah. 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 Thank you.